Bob Metcalf, the founder of Ethernet, uh, once once said at a talk, he said, I don't know what comes after Ethernet, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be called Ethernet. Hi, and welcome to uh, Tech News This Week. I'm your host, Anton Gonsalves, editor-at-large for Tech Target Editorial. Cisco recently released earnings that spooked investors. What convinced them to push the sell button on Cisco's stock, which fell 10% in a single day, was the company's lower than expected revenue and earnings for the rest of the fiscal year. Here to help us understand what's happening with Cisco is Bob Lalibert, networking industry analyst at Tech Target's Enterprise Strategy Group. Welcome, Bob. Thanks, Anton. Great to be here. Yes, nice to have you. All right, so uh, Cisco beat analyst estimates last quarter, but its yep. forecast for this quarter and the rest of the year convinced analysts to lower their price targets. Uh, what happened? Or what did? Uh, why did everything change uh, so rapidly? Yeah, I mean, I guess the the interesting part is um, I don't know that it's so rapidly. I think this is the you know the event that we've been seeing building up to this for quite a while now um, with all the supply chain shortages and organizations wanting to overcome that and pre-ordering and you know across both the you know distributor level and the end user customers i think what we're just seeing is a bit of a natural correction and it's not just a cisco phenomenon if you've seen if you've been following the earnings announcements all fall you've seen a lot of the networking companies do the same thing like hey we beat this quarter but we're just letting you know down the road, things are going to slow down as both the customers and the distributors get to consume the product that they already have. So it's just, I, I honestly, I look at it as a, a minor correction in the market. And I think, you know, it's it's not anything impactful of any of the vendors products or anything like that. It's just more of a, there's a supply and demand issue. And right now there's plenty of supply, which is going to weaken the demand for new orders over the next couple of quarters and that'll correct itself and then we'll be back back online you know yep. as we all know cisco is uh, is a bellwether in the tech industry and uh, you know ceo chuck robbins you know he he insisted that the uh, earnings that disappointed uh, analysts it didn't um, reflect a slowdown in enterprise it spending in general Right. Uh, but now investors, uh, he said it was strictly what, what you're describing, you know, uh, customers uh, dealing with the backlog, you know, yeah, uh, the, the, spending what correct. they thought. OK, well, but obviously investors didn't believe him. Uh, <laughs> they, they had doubts. So, 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 so why why the disconnect? Is or is is or is is uh, IT enterprise IT spending is it going to slow over the next quarters or or isn't it? Well, I think, like you said, for for all those products that people have been that were suffering from the backlog, right, and pre-ordering and ordering as much as they could to make sure that they could meet their demands, have now find themselves in a little bit of a surplus. I think that coincides from also from a, a you know a wi-fi perspective there were a lot of organizations over the last couple of or at least this year anyways who spent uh, a lot on reimagining their campus environment and preparing for the return to work and i think we're seeing that a lot of those that maybe is a mature environment as well but like i said from an overall standpoint we don't see anything slowing down to that rate from a distributed environment right so at the enterprise strategy group, we refer to the distributed cloud. 
So applications moving to multiple public clouds, moving to the edge, being on private data centers, uh, employees still very much engaged in hybrid work activities. And then, right, and, and so they're working from home, they're working remote, they're working in the office. So the, the one thing that's tying all that together is everything needs to be connected. So is there going to be a slowdown for the network? I don't think so. I think as organizations continue to adopt hybrid and even return to office, it's really going to continue to drive perhaps some of that upgrade because what's happening is the legacy gear that they have can't handle the collaboration bandwidth, right? That video and voice traffic going to every desktop, right? Think about pre-pandemic. You had a video room. It was time for a meeting and everyone was in the office and then you went to the video room to talk to either another company or someone who was remote. The reality is today is every desktop is a video room, right? And so, and the, the way everyone connects that desktop is wireless now, right? No one runs wired to the desktop in any new building, right? Prior to the pandemic, everyone was talking about reimagining the office space and completely wireless. And so to enable that, organizations are going to have to move to Wi-Fi 6E, Wi-Fi 7, right? To get that additional capacity to support that that video. And think they're going to need that kind of an upgrade given the fact that the return to office is not full staff. I mean, we're looking it, at uh, it's not. But like I said, that that because it's not full staff is exactly why they have to do it, because that means when any any time they're going to collaborate with somebody, half of the people might not be in the office. And so, again, it's not so. And if everyone's having this in the office, you don't have enough video rooms to accom accomplish that. So from what I've heard, like I said, the, the the talk track is typically around how do we reimagine the campus environment to enable those collaboration apps? to be used from anywhere in the building and not just specific video rooms. And then how this plays out for the networking companies, that means new wireless access points. And because these new wireless access points accommodate the 2.5, the five and the six gigahertz range, mm -hmm. they require more power, which means they have to replace the, the wired infrastructure that's supporting it, right? So they can get PoE plus and things like that. So they have sufficient power to power the access points and their multiple antennas, et cetera. So, so that's where that's where you start seeing that change. Now, the question is where we are in that transition, right? Yeah. And whether that's going to continue to drive more or people have already bought for that. Um, but there's like I said, there's there's a few other things that are that are driving it um, as well. I don't know if you want to go there now or if you want to oh, stay yeah, on go this ahead, go ahead. What, what because yeah, what's so my strategy group's uh, research showing is. Well, it's, it's the it's not only the research, but also the I've been on a lot of calls with the networking companies lately. They've been having analyst days and things like that, talking about their plans going forward. Um, and there's two little two little letters that keep cropping up and all of those uh, that happens to be A and I um, that, that happen. And so with with all of the with all of the interest around AI and all of the activity that's going on, there's, there's something that we refer to, it's like networking for AI. So how do you enable those backend infrastructures for these AI environments that these hyperscalers are putting together, these large enterprises are putting together? And if you look at it, you know, based on who you talk to, um, it could be anywhere in that range of an additional six to $10 billion TAM for these network providers. So here's something net and, new that's going to TAM drive growth. For what? TAM stands for what? Uh, a target addressable market, okay. right? So that, that that doesn't mean they're going to make six or ten million. That's just that's what it is to be split up amongst all the all the vendors. 
And, you know, a lot of them will, you know, in that lower end one tends to be more towards just the back end network. So the high performance back end networks, these are the ones that will compete against the InfiniBand stack that NVIDIA's put together for that space. And this is where things like, I don't know if you're familiar with the Ultra Ethernet Consortium. I am. Uh-huh. Right. So something the recently. Ones, Cisco and Arista are members of that consortium, and their HP. whole purpose is to make Ethernet instead of InfiniBand the uh, the number one network. Correct. Program. Yeah, HPE, and there's a few other companies on there. You can go and see the the whole list of them. And yeah, the idea is, look, do you really want to introduce another technology? And we've all known if you follow networking long enough, there's been a lot of technologies that have been introduced, but Ethernet is still going. And so it reminds Bob Bob Metcalf, the founder of Ethernet, uh, once once said at a talk, he said, I don't know what comes after Ethernet, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be called Ethernet. And so and, and that's what you're starting to see with this ultra Ethernet, right, is that, hey, how do we how do we have a tech? Why don't why would we try and put something completely new in where people don't have the resource, the skill sets, et cetera, when we could just modify and leverage Ethernet to do the same thing? Right. Let's keep the cost down leverage the same boxes, the same methodologies. There's a little bit of difference, right? Because the performance that's required. And so there's some new technologies and that's what the that's what the the UEC, the Ultra Ethernet Consortium is all about. How do we modify Ethernet? How do we modify the Rocky stuff to make it simpler, to make it non-blocking, all this kind of good stuff to enable organizations to use that. And so, you know, like I said, with Arista, with Cisco, with HPE, and, and you can imagine others will join as well. There's a lot of other companies in there that they're really going to be focused on how do we how do we incorporate this and build it out. So that's a big opportunity for a lot of the network companies to expand their TAM and and get back to a growth area, right? Through through something that doesn't exist, didn't exist six months ago, 12, well, it did, but not in the way it is now with everything blowing up and, and all the the attention being spent on it. Okay. So who's gonna uh who's gonna be the buyers of uh of this uh, ultra ethernet when and if it comes. I mean, we have, I mean, when it comes to AI, uh, yep. enterprises, at least based on on, on my reporting, uh, that enterprises are not, they're still trying to figure out the return on investment on AI. They're still trying to figure out what's required. And because there's so much more than, even beyond the technology, what's re required technology-wise, but you get the education of employees, how do you use it, how do you secure it? I mean, these are issues that they're struggling with. And yeah. as a result, if they're under pressure to do something right away, if a CIO is under pressure from the board that a CEO to do something right away, uh, they're just turning to Microsoft. Oh, they're mm -hmm. turning to Salesforce and they'll right. use AI. All right. So when you talk about something about ultra Ethernet, I mean, is that really uh, for networking companies to sell more to service providers and cloud and cloud providers, hyperscalers, scalers, as opposed to yeah. the enterprise? So I think this is going to follow a path, right? Initially, it will be those hyperscalers, right? The service providers, the, you know, really large enterprise who will be wanting to build their own training and inference right environments, that's who's gonna adopt it. But like most technologies we see, and even hyperscaler technologies, make their way down to the enterprise. So the initial market is yes, it's about enabling these hyperscalers that are using tens of thousands of, deep, of GPUs and like just massive environments, huge power consumption. That's who will be the initial customers. You'll have some of the really large enterprises 
doing that as well. And then you'll see over time, right, that you'll see other enterprises wanting to have their own environments, wanting to build things out. But you're right, if you're a if you're an SMB or a smaller enterprise and you can leverage, you know, Ignite was this week, so it's top of mind, right? If you can do Copilot for 365 and Microsoft Graft and use their studio to integrate with your, your SharePoint for data, right? Because it's all about the data for AI, right? How do I get the data? And mo most importantly for all the enterprises, like you're saying, from a security perspective, it's about how do we make sure that none of our data gets put into a public AI environment? So by building out those private, we, we commonly refer to them as SLMs, right? The instead of the large language models are the small language models just based on their own data that's that they own and control. Yeah, so yeah. you're right, it's it's gonna be a process, but definitely the the larger organizations, the hyperscalers are absolutely gonna lead the charge on this. They're, I mean, obviously they're already there, right? They're already buying this. And so the, the question is how much of it goes to how much of it goes to InfiniBand and how much of it goes to Ethernet initially. And then once like UEC is out, how much starts shifting over to to Ethernet? I mean, the, the hyperscalers have certainly shown that they don't want to use proprietary technology, right? Everything's white box or some, some slightly modified white box type of technology, right? They want to be able to reduce costs. They want everything to be standardized. So there's a lot of there's a lot of pluses for why they would want to use Ethernet over InfiniBand. Sure. Okay, so let's uh, circle back to Cisco here. Well, one of the uh, because Cisco, um, Cisco, is, if Cisco is going to get back on track in terms of revenue to satisfy their investors, uh, it seems like Splunk is uh, is a critical piece of that. They're spending twenty eight billion dollars for this company. Uh, how will Splunk? change their business and, you know, give them their next round of, uh, of, of revenue. Yeah, I think that's another, it's a really interesting one. Obviously this has been talked about for a couple of years, right? Whether people have been waiting for this to, to happen. So it, it obviously, it presents a huge opportunity for them from the observability space. As I mentioned earlier, these distributed cloud environments with applications everywhere, with workers everywhere, it becomes increasingly difficult, right? The complexity increases, the ability to have, the ability to have visibility essentially, right? Across these highly distributed environment becomes really challenging. So they've been doing things on the network side, like with a thousand eyes to look at what's going on in the, in, across the internet, right? Being able to tie that in with their devices, being able to get all that telemetry while Splunk's been working on how do I collect all the log data from everywhere? How do I collect application data? So there's obviously, there's a little bit of overlap there, right? Because Cisco has AppD and things like that. But the overall strategy here is how do we take all the tools that we have to collect all the data we have to provide that end-to-end -end visibility across that environment so that we're able to very quickly and easily detect when there's an issue or to be able to collect enough information and correlate it so that we can then you know, proactively optimize the traffic. And so what Splunk is doing is really, you know, the, the addition of Splunk is enabling them to have that, basically that full stack of observability solution that collects from the, um, uh, was it Melt, right? The metrics, events, the logs, the traces from the, from the applications and from the network. And I don't know that anyone's got a better network visibility story than Cisco does between all the, you know, all the acquisitions they've made, 
uh, all the AI focused acquisitions they've made, all the observability acquisitions they've made to be able to feed all that data up and then be able to, you know, crunch it and provide ultimately what everyone wants, right? It's not data for the sake of data. It's data for the sake of getting actionable intelligence, right? Being able to do something with that data that drives a better process, that drives better quality, that drives a better experience is ultimately what the goal is, right? Yeah. Uh, Bob, thanks a lot for joining me. It's always uh, a pleasure to hear uh, your insight on Cisco and everything else networking. And, and for our listeners, uh, that wraps up today's podcast.